About a year, a little over a year ago, I was talking with a friend of mine, uh, and I was sharing with him, I'd been sharing with him the gospel, and I had shared with him that Jesus is risen. And this is a person that I had been praying for pretty much every day for the last four or five years. Uh, a close friend that I wanted to see come to faith. And he had heard the gospel. I sat down with him at one point and shared kind of the whole story. Uh, we got to the end and he was like, wow, that's, that's really interesting. And I thought, no, that's not what's supposed to happen. There's supposed to be some big heaven opening kind of moment. And he just, we kept journeying together and we got to the point we were doing an evangelistic Bible study together. And he's listening and I'm, I've shared with him that, that Jesus is, is, is risen, that Jesus is Lord. And he's come to the point of realizing that that truth, in order to be a Christian, you have to accept that by faith. But his problem was, as he said it, how do you make yourself have faith? How do you get to the point where you can believe? How do you know if you have faith? You see, faith is a tricky thing. It's tricky to know, well, if you genuinely have faith or don't have faith. Faith is hard to see. And we can stand up here and I can tell you every week, week after week, believe. The question is how? How do you believe? And how do you know if you actually are believing? Well, I had been where my friend was for a long period of time in my life. When I was younger, I struggled with the idea of faith and doubt. And so while I'm talking to him, and I've said everything that I know to say, finally out of my own experiences, a question pops into my mind and I ask him, and I say, do you want to be a Christian? Like I know that you're not sure if you can come up with the faith to become one, but if you could, would you want to be one? Would you want to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? I know that's hard to believe, but if you had your choice, would you believe it? And he said, yeah. My life would be easier, I think, if I could actually be a Christian. If I could finally just get myself to the point of believing. Now the reason I asked him that question is because of a truth that I didn't know when I was younger that I have since learned that has been incredibly helpful and that truth is this. Desire is an evidence of faith. You see, somebody who actually wants to be a Christian couldn't have gotten to that point unless God was at work in their heart creating faith. And sometimes we make this a little too difficult because we look at people around us who have great faith and we say, well, I don't have that kind of faith, so I must not have any faith at all. But the truth of the matter is that desire to be a Christian is actually evidence that God is at work in your life. This is a truth that's fundamental. It's a truth that's important. It's important for anyone here this morning who is wondering, do I actually have faith? Do I actually believe what needs to be believed in order to have eternal life? It's an important truth for anyone here 
who wants to share the gospel with other people, who wants to see other people come to faith. You and I need to understand the role that desire to be a Christian plays in the evidence that faith is there. It's also an important truth for any who might be here who are still considering the claims of Jesus, who have not yet accepted Jesus as Lord. As you may be hearing what I have to say today, maybe you already know the details of the story, but you're thinking, how do I get myself to the point of actually believing? The truth that God has for us today from his word, that desire to be a Christian is evidence that God is at work in your life will be important for you. So please, each one of you, Take a Bible and turn to the book of Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, if you're using one of the church Bibles that you picked up on a cart on the way in, it's page 912. Romans chapter 2, page 912. This is our fifth week in the book of Romans. And the book of Romans is really a, a very special book in the Bible, and it's special because it's such a systematic treatment of God's truths. You see, the book of Romans begins with the universe-altering truth that Jesus is risen from the dead. And the fact that Jesus is risen from the dead, that changes everything. Therefore, what the Apostle Paul does in the book of Romans is he starts with the truth that Jesus is raised from the dead, and then he systematically goes through some of the most foundational and fundamental truths of life, because in this, now that Jesus is raised from the dead, God is able to reveal to us these truths for us to understand in a new and fresh way. And this morning in Romans 2, we have the opportunity for God to reshape our understanding of the role that desire plays in helping us to evidence whether we have true faith or not. So Romans chapter 2, I'm going to be reading verses 5 through 11. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. Now Paul begins in this passage by laying out for us a dichotomy two distinct groups of humans. On one hand, you have the group that he begins with, 
who because of their unrepentant hearts, meaning in the face of God's kindness, his patience and forbearance, in the face of the fact that God has revealed knowledge of who he is, there are a group of people who have rejected that knowledge and refused to allow God's kindness to lead them to repentance. That group is experiencing distress and trouble now and anger and wrath are waiting for them on the day of God's judgment. When Jesus Christ returns on judgment day, this first group has waiting for them wrath and anger from God. That's the first group that's here. The second group that Paul is referring to are those who experience peace, glory, honor, immortality, and eternal life. These are those who have responded to God's kindness. In that second group, on the day in which Christ returns, the peace, the glory, and the honor that we've experienced in part now, we will experience for all of eternity. But notice in this passage, there are only two groups. You're either in one or the other. There are not three choices here. You're either in the first group, destined to experience God's wrath when Jesus returns, experiencing distress and trouble now, or you're in the second group, experiencing peace and glory and honor in part now and in fullness for eternity. Well, of course, between those two choices, I'd rather be in the second group. I would rather have all of you be in the second group. I would rather have all of humanity be in that second group. If given the choice between distress, trouble, and eternal wrath, or peace, glory, honor, and eternal life, I want and every single person to be in this second group. The question is, How do you get into that second group? How do you get to be a person who, when Jesus returns, experiences eternal life, not eternal wrath? Well, the first thing to say about it is that which group you're in has nothing to do with external factors, whether Jew or Gentile, meaning nothing to do with ethnicity, and nothing to do with external factors like intelligence, or beauty, or likability, or charm, because God does not play favorites. You see that verse 11? God does not show favoritism. Listen, you may be a very winsome person. Everyone around you may like you. You may be held in high regard at your work or in your classes. You may be the kind of person that people want to hang out with. You may be the kind of person who is able to charm all those around you. But listen, God is not charmed. 
He does not play favorites. He does not look down upon the earth and say, I like that person's personality more than I like that person's personality. I like the way that person uh, interacts with this world more than I like the way that person interacts with this world. I think that person is smarter than that person. I'm going to choose that person. That's not how he does things. You do not end up in the first group destined to experience God's wrath or in the second group destined to experience eternal life based on any external factors whatsoever. God doesn't play favorites. There aren't things about your ethnicity or about your background or about your personality or about the ways you interact with people that God is going to say, on the basis of that, I pick you to be one who receives eternal life. What is then the criterion for how we receive eternal life? Well, it's verse 7. So let's look very carefully at what verse 7 says. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. Okay, do you see this? It's very clearly stated how you end up in this second group is you are a person who seeks to be in this group. Okay, the key word is this verb, seek. It means to desire. It means to want. It means to go after. And what essentially Paul is saying in verse 7 is, look, anybody who wants eternal life, those are the ones to whom God gives eternal life. If you are a person who seeks eternal life, if that's your desire, God will give it. To you. Now we see that in comparison to verse 8. How did the people get into group number one? We'll look at verse 8. But for those who are, and what's the word? Self-seeking. So what differentiates the people in these two groups is what they're seeking. In group number one, it is people who are seeking themselves. This is what Romans 1 is talking about. For those who seek to be in charge of their own lives, for those who want to be able to behave sexually any way they feel like behaving, for those who want to be able to engage in malice and anger and wickedness and gossip and slander, those who are seeking to be in charge of themselves, God gives to them what they're asking for. And to those who are seeking eternal life, God gives to them what they're asking for. In many ways, you can summarize the message of the first two chapters of Romans this way. God gives to every person what they want. Those who want eternal life, God gives eternal life. Those who want their own life to be in charge, to be able to make the rules, to be able to behave however they want, God gives that to them as well. You see, how do you end up in group number one or how do you end up in group number two? It's what's going on in your heart. It's not that God looks at external things and decides, well, I'm going to take some of those people and put them over here and some of these people and put them over here. Romans chapter one and Romans chapter two make it clear, God gives to each person that which they desire. 
And if you seek after yourself, you're storing up wrath and anger for when Christ returns. You're in the first group. But if you want eternal life, if you want glory and honor and peace and immortality, then you're in the second group and God will give to you eternal life. Now please, this verse and this passage is dangerous if you don't read it exactly right. It can sound when you hear this passage like it's saying that if you do enough good things, then you earn your way into this second group. But read it very carefully, it doesn't say that. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. In other words, seeking to do good is an evidence of what you really desire out of life. That if you are persistent in doing good, that's an evidence that what you really want out of life is eternal life, not eternal wrath. But you haven't earned it. Notice to the people in group number two, he gives eternal life. It's a gift that God gives. Now this is great, it's, it's beautiful, it's amazing, but sometimes it can be a little hard to grasp without a picture of what this looks like. So let's look at an illustration that takes this passage and makes it clear in a real live story that actually happened. For this, I need you to turn back to the book of Acts chapter 10. So you're going to be turning pages sort of from left to right, back to Acts 10. Acts is the very, uh, the book right before the book of Romans. Acts 10, it's page 891 in the church Bibles. It's a story of a man named Cornelius, and I think he's the perfect illustration of what Paul's talking about in Romans 2. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Now hold on, I want you to notice, Cornelius is not a Christian yet, but I want you to notice he's a good person. He's doing what Romans 2 is talking about. In his persistence in doing good, he takes care of the poor, he's generous, you would even call Cornelius spiritual. In his persistence in doing good, he's showing that what he really wants out of life is eternal life. Well, keep going, verse three. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. It says God is aware, Cornelius, 
that you've been working hard to be a good person. Now, he says, God has a message you need to hear. Jump over to verse 34, and we're going to hear that message. Now, what we're skipping over when we jump to verse 34 is Peter's side of the story. So God shows up, an angel shows up to Cornelius and says, you need to talk to a guy named Peter. The verses we're not reading right now are God talking to Peter, getting him ready to speak to Cornelius. When we finally get the two of them together in verse 34, we get to hear the message that God has for Cornelius through Peter. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Where did we hear that before? Romans 2, God doesn't make decisions based on outward appearance, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Again, same point of Romans 2. Those who in persistence uh, of doing good show that they are seeking eternal life. God is the one who looks on people in every nation and pays special attention to those who fear him and do what's right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That's the message that God gave to Peter to give to Cornelius. Now watch what happens when Cornelius hears this message. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. All right, so what's going on here in Acts 10? Very important to understand this illustration. Paul says in Romans chapter 2 that what's going on in your heart, if you want eternal life, God will give you eternal life. Here is Cornelius who in his good deeds, in his prayers, in his spirituality, in his generosity to the poor, was demonstrating that what he wanted out of life was glory, honor, peace, and immortality. Doing those things didn't earn him eternal life, but because he was a person who wanted eternal life, God made sure he got what he wanted. Now listen, eternal life only comes through the message that Jesus is risen from the dead. 
That's why Peter's got to show up and give him this story. He's got to tell him this very true story, which essentially is Jesus, a human, went all around the areas of Galilee and Judea doing amazing things that nobody had ever seen before, raising the dead, giving sight to the blind, healing the lame, because God's power was with this human Jesus in a unique way. This human Jesus who did more good things than we'd ever be able to even tell you about was put to death by the Roman Empire on a cross, not because of anything he did wrong. In fact, the Roman official at the time, Pontius Pilate, declared that he had done nothing wrong, yet he was still executed. But God says he was executed for your sins and for my sins. When he died on that Friday 2,000 years ago, Three days later on Easter Sunday, God raised him from the dead, has appointed Jesus, this human Jesus who died on that cross, to be Lord over all things, the judge of every living human being. And that all the prophets, all all the writings in the scriptures, everything in life point to the fact that this Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection provides forgiveness of sins for all humans. Cornelius needed to know that message because that's how eternal life comes. But the important thing for us to realize, the desire of his heart was for eternal life, and so God did what he promised he would do. He made sure that Cornelius heard the message that led him to eternal life. And Cornelius believed. This is great news. All throughout the world today, not just in the West, all throughout the world today there are people who in their persistence by doing good are showing that what they want out of life is eternal life. God's promises, he will make sure that they hear the message and that they come to faith. So, what do we do with this teaching that God has for us this morning? I'm super glad to be able to share this with you because truth be told, I really wish I would have heard this a long time ago. What I mean is I made reference to the fact that when I was younger I had real struggles with faith. I became a Christian at a young age. That's a really wonderful thing. One of the downsides of it, though, was that I constantly had doubts about whether I actually did it right. Did I say the prayer in the right way? Did I have faith? Faith is a tricky thing to know if you have. Did I do something wrong? The good news of Romans 2 and of Acts 10 is listen. If you have a desire for eternal life, that means you're in the second group. See, I used to pray this prayer. I used to pray all the time, Lord, if I'm not a Christian, tell me and I'll become one. And if I am a Christian, tell me so I can stop worrying about it. Now again, I look back on that prayer today and I smile. But at the time it was miserable. And and if I look out at you and you're not smiling because you're in the middle of those doubts, trust me, I know the misery. I know the misery of every day thinking, but what if I didn't do it right? What if I don't believe enough stuff? What if I don't understand enough stuff? If I really have faith, should I have these doubts? I understand that. 
And that's why I'm so excited to come here this morning and tell you the good news from God's word. Listen, the fact that I was praying that if I wasn't a Christian, God would tell me so that I could become one, that itself was evidence that I was in this group. And listen, if you're here this morning and you say, what I want more than anything is eternal life, guess what? That's evidence that you're over here. You're not over here. Listen, if you want to be a Christian, you can't get to that point unless God is at work in your heart through the Holy Spirit. So hear me out of my own personal experience. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. There's not a magic formula. There's not a magic prayer. There's not a set list of things that you have to understand perfectly that if you don't, somehow you get thrown into that first category. Listen, God puts you in the group you want to be in. If you are choosing to seek yourself and your own good and to make decisions for your own life, to be in charge of everything, you will experience wrath on the day that Jesus comes back. But listen, if you want eternal life, That is what God will give you. Please, don't let Satan tear you apart with doubts. To those who seek immortality, God will give eternal life. Listen, this is a great truth. It's a great truth. And if you're here this morning and you are bound with doubts, if you are plagued by fears, and you say, like my friend, I wish I could be a Christian. I want to be a Christian. I want to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. I've got really, really, really good news for you. Not only is Jesus raised from the dead, but God is at work in your heart. You do believe. Yes, there's an opportunity for your faith to get stronger. But please put aside the doubt that somehow you're in danger of being in that first group. If you seek immortality, God will give eternal life. The second thing I think we're supposed to take away from this truth, many of us, know people like my friend I started the sermon with. He's a good guy. He does lots of good things. We sometimes think that the gospel, the good news, the only people who are really gonna be interested in that are those whose lives are a train wreck because of sin. We think people who are out there who are doing good things, who are caring for the poor, who are trying to do uh, things to bless other people, they wouldn't be interested in Jesus. We think it's only the people who have tried everything and everything in life has fallen apart and their one last hope is Jesus. Those are the only people we think are really going to listen to the gospel. Now listen to me. I can't even tell you how grateful and thankful I am that there are people who have no other hope, whose life is a total mess, that Jesus saves those people. I'm so grateful for that. But so great, I'm also grateful for the fact that Jesus also saves people like Cornelius. Listen, Cornelius' life is not a mess. Now, of course, everybody's life is a mess. You get what I'm saying. 
Cornelius has not hit rock bottom. Cornelius is not addicted to drugs. Cornelius is not a person who's engaging in sexual abuse. Cornelius is not a person who's been embezzling money. Cornelius is a good person. He's trying his best. He's generous to the poor. He's a spiritual person. The great news about Acts 10 and about Romans 2 is the gospel is for those people too. And that you and I have people in our life who are seeking to bless others. We have people in our life who are generous. They don't know Jesus yet, but here's the message from God's Word to you and I today. Share the gospel with them. You and I, we're like Peter, whom God sees the good works of our friends. He sees their hearts that what they really want out of life is eternal life. They're not incredibly selfish. They're not incredibly evil. They're not seeking after everything for themselves. They're actually looking out for other people, but they just don't know Jesus yet. You and I get to be Peter. And the fact that they are good people, the fact that they are generous, the fact that they engage in spiritual practices is a sign that they're on a path to receive eternal life, but they still need someone to share the gospel with them. And maybe God's calling you, and maybe God's calling me to do that. Now listen. Satan can use their good deeds and Satan can use their spirituality to lie to them to say they don't actually need Jesus. I get that. But listen, nobody does good apart from God. There is no good in this world that is somehow sourced in human flesh or in the world of darkness. The only good that can happen is that which is created by God. And there are people in our lives whose lives haven't fallen apart. They still need Jesus because there's no eternal life apart from Jesus. But please, their good deeds, their spirituality has set them on a path to prepare them to receive the gospel. So let's share it with them. The third thing to take away from this teaching this morning You may be here and you may be Cornelius. Maybe you're a college student, whether at Calvin or some other college and you're here and you went off to college because you wanted to change the world. You're not interested in trying to earn as much money for yourself. You're not interested in trying to have life be all about you. You actually want to see people in this world experience grace and peace and love and glory and honor. You've actually given yourself because you want to make this world a better place. Or maybe you're here and you're on a spiritual quest and maybe you started coming to this church because you're like, look, I'm interested. I'm interested in spiritual things. I'm interested in spirituality. I'm interested in community. Those things are not enough to give you eternal life, but listen to me. They are a sign that you are on a path towards eternal life. And listen, if by your deeds and your commitment to other people and your desire to to engage in spiritual things, you are demonstrating that what you want out of life is not just to live for yourself, you are demonstrating that what you want out of life is eternal life, God will give you eternal life. How? 
Some preacher is going to stand up on a stage in the middle of Calvin College is going to tell you the thing you need to know, which is the message I read to you out of Acts 10. That's what you need to know, that Jesus went around doing amazing, miraculous things because God was with him. He was put to death for our sins, not for his own. God raised him from the dead and has declared that he is Lord over the whole universe, that all who place their faith in him will receive eternal life, forgiveness for all sins, and that when Jesus returns as the judge of all people, living and dead, you will have eternal life through faith in him. Listen, Peter doesn't show up to Cornelius and say, man, your life is a mess. You got to repent of all this stuff. He doesn't tell him all your good deeds are worthless. He doesn't tell him your quest for spirituality is a waste of time. I'm not telling you that either. I'm saying to you, your desire to see the world be a better place, your desire to have more out of life than just what you can have for yourself is an evidence that God is at work in you. This gospel message that I've shared with you is the culmination of that journey. And if in your hearts today, when you hear that message, you say, I I wish that was true. I hope that's true. I hope it's true that there is eternal life. I hope it's true that all my sins can be forgiven. Listen, if that's what you're saying, that's an evidence that God is already creating faith in you. Listen, the last invitation in the Bible not the last words of the Bible, but the very last sort of piece of the Bible that is inviting us to do something is in Revelation 22. Listen to what it says. The spirit and the bride say come, and let the one who hears say come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And watch this phrase, the very last invitation in the Bible. And let the one who wishes Take the free gift of the water of life. Whoever wants it. We end up in whatever group we want to be in. Two groups, there's not a third choice. Two groups, one group seeking their own pleasure willing to engage in whatever kind of evil, willing to engage in whatever they want, that group will receive from God when Jesus returns wrath and anger. But this group, the ones who long for eternal life, the ones who want glory and honor and peace and immortality, whoever wants it will receive it.